Hi, I'm Reagan, and thanks for listening to my dad's podcast, Lasting Learning. Hi, this is Dave Schmidow, the host of the Lasting Learning Podcast. On this show, we talk to real people with real stories. We focus on the focus and discuss what matters most. Let's go. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. If you're watching this right now on YouTube, you can already see I've got an amazing guest. If you're listening to this on the podcast, let me just describe who we've got on. We got a guy who rocks the backward hat way better than I do because he actually has hair flowing out from underneath it. We got a guy with a, a way better accent than I have. We got a guy who's way smarter than I am. A guy <laughs> that's just going to absolutely blow your mind. He is a groundbreaker. He is a code breaker. He is a writer. He's a publisher. He is just amazing. And he's even Canadian. That's right. Today, we've got the one, the only, <laughs> Brian Aspinall. Brian, thanks so much for being here, man. You know what? Like, just, just stop it right there. Like, you just wrote my <laughs> Podcast <bio>. done. Fine. <laughs> Viral. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, man. L- life is interesting right now. It's good. It's yeah. busy. Um, yeah. T- talk to people. Who, who are you? What are you about, man? Besides all that stuff I just said. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I'm, I'm an educator through and through. Once a teacher, always a teacher. I taught elementary school, grade seven. We call it grade seven, eight. You American folks call it seventh grade, eighth grade. I taught what we call intermediate school uh, for 12 years before joining higher ed as the consulting started to grow. Uh, being pulled from my classroom became an issue. It really was. I mean, I can't be out of my classroom all the time. So I went back to grad school, took a leave of absence from my classroom, and uh, the faculty of ed didn't let me leave. So now I teach, currently this semester, believe it or not, I have 85 teacher students in four courses at four faculties of ed here in Ontario, Queens, York, Trent, and the University of Windsor, uh, where I teach math and I teach integration of information and computer technology to those folks that are looking to upgrade and, and the courses are bursting at the seams right now because substitute teachers aren't working so they're all at home upgrading um which works for me because i don't get paid per class i get paid per head so uh six weeks ago when all my consulting traveling work was canceled indefinitely i had a bit of a moment of panic but then enrollment went through the roof so we're, we're doing okay between that and chasing greatness and publishing books here we are talking to you that's crazy. And, you know, we were talking uh, before we, we started recording that you live in Canada, but you're actually south of me, which yeah, is I Googled, bizarre. I, I Googled it. I live 90 minutes south of you on the North Shore. So everyone thinks the Canadian U.S. border goes like this. And for the, those listening at home, I'm drawing a straight line. But then you hit the Great Lakes. Boom, boom. There's that big V, right? We share the Great Lakes equally across U.S. Canada border. So I live on the North Shore of Lake Erie. And we can see the smoke stacks out our front yard at the nuclear plant in Monroe, Michigan. I can see them. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Wow. So t- describe what, it, what it's like right now. You said your, your classes are bursting at the seams at the higher level. Is there a teacher shortage in Canada? I mean, we talk about it in, in the States all the time. 
Um, you know what? Are you seeing that there? Yeah, yeah we are seeing a, a, a substitute. I call it supply teaching, and I've been corrected by a lot of my U.S. friends. Like, what does that mean? You hand out paintbrushes? No, 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 no. Not those kind of supplies. Substitute teaching. It's just called supply teaching here. Uh, so there's there's quite often a shortage of substitute teaching. So interestingly enough, prior to COVID, we would have face-to-face -face PD sessions and quite often teachers would have to remove themselves from it because they couldn't get a substitute teacher to cover their class. Now, obviously, PD is going to change uh, what that looks like moving forward. But yes, uh, it, interestingly, because when I started teaching, it was really hard to get a teaching job, particularly being where I live in southern Ontario, because we're about halfway between the University of Windsor and Western University in London, and both are producing thousands of certified teachers every year to come out. So it was very competitive. But yeah, in a nutshell, right now, finding substitute teachers is a challenge. And the faculty of ed here in Ontario as of last year, the program was one year and now it's two. So I, I don't know if that's had a direct impact on their enrollment or not. I haven't dug through that data. Hmm. It, but most people, I, I would say, that, that know you don't necessarily know you as this higher ed guy. They know you <laughs> as this guy that will come in and kind of push buttons literally and figuratively to try to get some conversations started about uh, getting our kids a little bit more engaged in the classroom with, with coding, um, just more hands-on learning. Where did all that come from? How did that evolve in, in your career? Oh, God. Well, you got two hours? <laughs> <laughs> two hours in Canada time is only 25 minutes. Oh, then let's so. go with them. Yeah, go for it. I like that <laughs> conversion rate. I was doing some consulting work in Iowa recently, and I was with the eighth grade class, and I said, hey, I'm 38 year, years old in Canada. How old am I here? And they really started to pull out calculators and try and do a dog years conversion. Anyway, how did it start for me? When I was in high school, so early 90s, my dad was a self-employed mortgage broker at the time, and he would advertise his work in the yellow pages. For those of you millennials at home, that means that's a phone book that used to get dropped at the end of your driveway. And those ads were incredibly expensive. So he started to teach himself HTML. He said, you know what? Why can't I build a website, scrap the yellow pages? Web hosting is, is a lot cheaper. And I'll plaster my domain name on my vehicle and I just drive around the community like I always do. And so I was very fascinated by that process. So I started to dabble in the HTML front and started to teach myself how to code. Um, moving forward, I had to do this poster project for a media studies class and I, I asked the teacher I said listen with all due respect I'm not a cut and paste kind of an individual the purpose of the assignment is to curate information and present it to the class if instead of doing it on a poster board how about I do it on a website and believe it or not she said what's a website I mean this is like 1994 and uh, anyway she allowed me to do that and so I marched the class down when my project was done and uh, we didn't have a network so I typed out you know www.geocities.com slash and it was a Tupac Shakur fan site I mean 1993 <laughs> I had long hair like do now trying to be Kurt Cobain and this west coast rapper at the same time <laughs> Uh, so I built this I built this website for a school project, and as you know, as an educator, teachers love to brag about the cool stuff their kids do. So she's in the staff room going, "Oh my God, little Brian Aspinall built this website. He's in, he's in tenth grade. This is crazy. Check it out." And the high school principal said, "Hey, listen, do you want to make your first? Do you want to make the first ever Harrow District High School website?" And it all fell into place from there. Um, I saw an opportunity. It's ironic because I was 17, working from home, starting my own web design company. Uh, and, and again, working from home in the 90s, like if I've always worked from home in that capacity, it's been very interesting to watch the changes amid COVID right now. 
So as a result of that, I went to the University of Windsor, studied computer science. When I graduated, I thought, do I go to Toronto and, and chase the dot-com dream? Or do I go to the faculty of ed? I always wanted to be a teacher. My mom was a teacher. My grandfather was a teacher. And I thought maybe I could teach high school computer science. So I went back to the faculty of ed and I, and I did my B-Ed and computer science was my teachable. And then I got hired by the elementary panel. So here in Ontario, we've got two unions. We've got K to eight elementary union and we've got the nine to 12 secondary union. And when you get hired by one, you at the time, you didn't jump because you lost your seniority. So when I finally got that permanent contract 15 years ago, when it was hard to get a job, I, I stayed. I stayed in the elementary panel. So I thought, okay, this is an opportunity now and we teach to our strengths. So what am I gonna do? Well, I'm gonna land in grades seven and eight and I know the amount of math I had to take in my undergrad. So uh, I, I never taught, for those listening at home who, who recognize me as this coding maniac, I've never taught kids to code. There's a big difference. I don't have a coding curriculum. I don't evaluate coding. I teach math, I teach science, I teach literacy using code. If you can learn to code, you can code to learn. Mm -hmm. So learning to code in my classroom has always been a byproduct of that process. Now, fast forward to today, uh, about five years ago when the coding wave really hit, I started consulting for other neighboring school boards. Uh, our ministry here in Ontario hired me to do some work in Toronto and the rest, the rest is history. Uh, as I was being pulled from my classroom, there was more opportunity and I thought for me, bigger impact, bigger reach, I can reach more kids. That's all I want to do. I want to support educators. So three years ago, my passion project was to take the coding uh, tour, if you will, take the show on the road. And it's evolved more so now to, uh, on our new website, codebreakeredu.com, which we just launched last week. We're now a publishing company as well. Our mission is not about coding anymore per se. It's, a, it's definitely a funnel. But we say breaking code isn't just about programming. It's about disrupting the status quo and education. And coding is a phenomenal vehicle to make change because you can't evaluate creativity. There's too much bias. You can't standardize creativity. Learning to code forces kids to take risks and you're guaranteed to fail the first time through. Typically when students write their first line of code 99% of the time, it does not work the first time through. Now that challenges us to redefine what it means to fail at school because by traditional definition, failure is punished at schools. Failure forces us to keep kids in at recess and repeat things. But in the coding space, failure is remarkable. When your code doesn't work, that's when the innovation truly begins. So our message, yes, is let's expose as many kids to coding and computer science as possible because you don't know if you like broccoli until you try it. But also now let's look at our evaluation practices. We have totally thrown how we instruct lessons on its head in the last five, 10, 20 years. We're not sage at the stage anymore, all of those other buzzwords you wanna throw on it, but we've done very little to talk about the evaluation side. And where I live in Ontario in seventh grade and eighth grade, we have to put an actual number on a report card. So how the heck do you quantify an app that a kid has built to solve an authentic problem in the community? What is that, 91, 92? There's no rubric to allow for that. So our mission is twofold. Uh, to make change, to innovate within the parameters of a system, to support teachers doing everything we possibly can, and to also help move systems so that they do support the abilities of all of our learners. 
that was that? that was no, that was awesome. Well done. You took two hours and nailed it. That was awesome. I, I, that conversion rate is strong. So <laughs> I, I know there are people listening right now because of the, the nature of this podcast. We get the opportunity to talk to a lot of amazing people doing some super cool things. And it seems like in education right now, there are a lot of people that want to go out and write books and want to go speak and want to go consult and think, wow, I'm just going to listen to these people and do exactly what they do. And they're listening to, to your story thinking, wow, he just laid out the code for what I need to do to go out there and do all those cool things. Um, but you also mentioned that there's within every coding, there's, there's failures, there's ups and downs. And I'll be honest, hearing your story, and I've, I've been tracking you for, seems like forever, but to realize it's only been really three years since it's gotten kind of intense for you and gotten real and gotten big is yeah, three, shocking three to me. It seems like you've been doing it forever. Oh, I, I have been. Um, but so, so three years ago, I was still in the classroom and prior while, while being in the classroom, when this started to really hit, so scratch came out in like 2002 and it's built based on logo. Like there's decades of pedagogical research about why constructivism and coding is important in our classrooms. This isn't new. Sure. It's just taken off with more access to technology. So for in the better part of the last decade, I was always presenting at conferences, but I was sharing student work. Look at this math project that used code. And in those conference sessions, I would have program department people from other school boards in Ontario, and they would say, can you come and do a PD event? So five years ago, I might have been doing one, two, three, four of my own consulting events while doing all kinds of after-school workshops with my own district. Mm -hmm. And then it started to spiral. Code.org hit, Hour of Code came out, and, and then it became one or two a month uh, of requests being asked uh, to go to the point where I had to sit down with superintendents and, and people in the board and say, look, I know that there's no policy for teacherpreneurs or anything like that. How many, how many days would you feel is appropriate for me to be out of my classroom? Obviously, I can never say I won't take a sick day, but all of those pieces are there. I know how many sick days I'm allowed to have in, the, in a school year. How many unpaid days off can I have to go and consult for uh, some neighboring school boards? We all work for the same ministry here in Ontario. I think everybody's a colleague, regardless of what district you're in. When that became too much for me to manage teaching full-time and consulting as much as I was, uh, that's when I took the leap. So three years ago, I took a leave of absence. I went back to grad school. I got my master's in math education and I didn't leave. Uh, once I finished that, I was able to then teach teachers and that became my, my main hustle, if you will, if you want to use those terms for those people in the entrepreneurial space. Um, so it's, it's only been three years since I've sort of quote unquote been uh, on the code breaker circuit. Yeah, it's been three wow. years full time, full time. Well, I think hustle is an appropriate word. And I know some people look at it as a derogatory term, whatever, but yeah. you are hustling, man. You are working hard. It's not like you're just sitting back on the North shore watching the smokestacks. <laughs> I mean, you're, you are constantly on the go, constantly doing more. You, you mentioned you, you just started a publishing company now as well. I mean, you've written books. You are speaking to people everywhere. Um, talk, talk to me about the evolution of this publishing company. I, I know you got Don Epps working right alongside you. An, another um, yeah, yeah. awesome guy. Well, so. Huge, huge, huge shout out to George Kouros uh, and Dave Burgess. 
Uh, I've known George for a variety of years. He's sort of my other Canadian brother on the circuit, if you will. There are others, but you know, who doesn't know Mr. Kuros and his brother? <laughs> um, so I met, I met Dave uh, and Shelly through George, and uh, that's when the idea for Codebreaker launched. In fact, Dave actually was the one that named Codebreaker hmm. as, as such. He coined the, the title. Interestingly enough, I call I make fun of it now. It's it's a quick read. I call it the coding pamphlet because it's not very big. Uh, but I wrote it at, at a time where I was still associated with a school district, so I was very mindful. I couldn't push as hard as I wanted to. I have to be very mindful of unions and all of those other pieces. So I went through that process, and it was about a year a year long through signing contracts to pen to paper to still teaching. Um, and it was one of those things, and you can probably relate, you never thought it was going to end. You're just like, <laughs> it's so far in the future, it's just never going to come. And then it hit, it hit. I was sitting at the dealership, my car was in the garage, it was a Saturday morning, I got a text from Dave, he said, it's live, start cleaning. And that was November 2017. We managed to get the book out at the end of November to support Hour of Code, Computer Science Ed Week, which is the beginning of December. And I was hooked. So I wanted to do it again with Blockbreaker, but not a book about Minecraft, a book about computational thinking and spatial reasoning. Not a how to Minecraft, just like Codebreaker is not a how to code. It's we're going to use Minecraft, learning Minecraft as a byproduct of the process of doing math in the Minecraft space. Good. Both books land. And I thought, you know what, uh, my network has doubled in, in two years in terms of following and growth and, and all of those other things. I thought, I think I can do this. And a colleague of mine here in Windsor, we wanted to do a kid's book. Uh, how, do, how do we reach our fifth five-year-olds, our kindies in the classroom with computational thinking strategies? They're not getting on scratch. You can only do so much with a B-bot. So we thought if we could write a, a story about how, how computational thinking can be done in your everyday life, maybe it would work as a, a wonderful primary read aloud. And I started pitching the idea to a variety of publishers and they all said to me, kid books don't sell. And I said, well, that sounds like a niche to me and that sounds like an opportunity. So I'm gonna do it myself. Um, so I sat down with, actually a year ago, last summer, we started and I'm proud that in, in under a year, I think we've got, I've lost track, seven or eight books on the market. I, I don't even know. But we went through the process last summer of self-publishing and, uh, and it was incredibly rewarding um, to do that, to do it yourself, to take your idea and, and to do it yourself. And over, I saw it. I have, I'm going all over the place here. I got a little bit ADD. For the last 10 years on Twitter, it's always been my mission. If I can wake up in the morning and retweet two other people before I start promoting myself, lift up others, that's my goal. I want to amplify those small voices of people doing amazing things, which is where my podcast comes in too. So a year ago, I thought, you know what? Why can't we amplify those voices that need to be heard? Not the people with 30,000 Twitter followers the people with 300 Twitter followers who are kicking ass in their classroom. So I saw, I heard this, this woman speak, Maggie Fay, shout out to Maggie Fay. I heard her speak about autism and how coding became a means for her nonverbal students to communicate. And I, it clicked. I thought we need to put out a book. We need to do this. I didn't see coding through that lens. You've taught me 
how I'm always talking about reaching all learners and here's an incredible opportunity to not only do some autism awareness, but to integrate computational thinking into a spec ed classroom was pretty remarkable. So we published Hallway Connections, her first kid book. Uh, she's got a couple more on, on the back burner now. That came out last summer. And it's, it's just gone from there. Anytime I go to a conference and I see somebody present on something that, that I think aligns nicely with my mission, I want to amplify those voices. So we've got, uh, we've got a wicked team now of, jeez, uh, like I said, I think there's about seven or eight of us who are all sort of on the same mission. Dr. Michael Hines' book came out last week. He's a superintendent in New York, and his book is just rocking it. We got Ken Robinson to do an endorsement on that, which is remarkable to have to have my name on the same cover as Ken Robinson was was a, a really big accolade for me, if you will. Um, yeah. More important than speaking at a Microsoft conference or people I've idolized for years and had utmost respect for are I'm kind of on their radar. And that's that's been really, really rewarding. And that's what's kept me going. Right. Uh, so being able to have conversations with people like you, I've been following you for years too, because I knew we were neighbors. <laughs> well, I, I'll be honest with you. I, that's kind of the reason I do this podcast. So I can reach out to people like you and just have these conversations because you, you push and you grow me and you inspire me to keep taking those chances and keep reaching out and breaking down those walls because you're not a guy that accepts no as an answer. Somebody tells you no and you say, okay, I got gotcha. you. So yeah. you're a no, let me figure out how to make it a yes. And you just yeah, keep on going and growing and killing it. I mean, from so so risk taker book three. Yeah. If you're getting the because this is clearly the Brian Aspinall shameless promotion show. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going with rule breaker to follow the breaker theme, and I thought that's got a negative connotation to it. So quickly rebranded that to risk taker, and I said I need to publish the first book that Codebreaker publishes needs to be mine. It can't be somebody else's where I'm trying to publish other people's work, but then I'm going with other publishers. That was incredibly important. So that's sort of how the, the, the ball got rolling is I, the Codebreaker Inc. is going to publish Risk Taker to show I'm, I'm committed and, and we're going to go from there. Hmm. That's, that's awesome. It, it is, it's a powerful story too. And I think that there's so many lessons that educators, parents, kids can be just taking from your story. I mean, yeah, your books and your presentations, all that, but your story is a powerful one. We've all got walls we, we surround ourselves with. We all live in a, a silo and we all have these boxes that people can find us in, but those boxes are what other people can find us in. And we have the ability to break out of those and say, no, let's create a new, a new normal, a new reality, whatever it is. What, what is next for Brian Aspinall? I mean, right now you're doing it all. Do you see yourself oh. giving up something or pursuing something? Well, I've got a couple of things. We haven't even talked about this, but I've also got a real estate company. I own, I <laughs> of course do. you do. <laughs> That's not related to education at all. My wife and I own a real estate business here in Southern Ontario. Um, for me, I've got this passion project idea. This isn't a monetary thing. This is sort of a creative outlet. And I'd love to grab a crew. I'd love to grab a camera crew and, and hit the ground running because there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of pushback in the social space about people on the consulting circuit. In other words, oh yeah, you've got seven years in the classroom. Now you're going to go tell me how to, how to do mine. You're we an want edgy celebrity. Where's your street edgy, cred? Yeah. Edgy celebrity has become a term to criticize the work of others based on a 
blue check mark. I hate Correct. it. Anyway. Um, so what I would love to do is grab a crew and go back to all the schools I visited on the ground and talk to those educators again. What's changed? Where have you been? What does school look like for you? Because we're so siloed. We're siloed in our classroom. We're siloed in our school. We're siloed in our district. We're siloed in our province or state and so on and so forth. So I would love to create some kind of I don't know if documentary is the word, but I want to capture the voices of those people on the ground that I've met. I would love to go back because I think what sets my body of work apart from a lot of other people is sure, I'll come and keynote your conference, but I want to stay. Um, I'm not a fly in, fly out. If you want me to come and speak to your staff, then I want to spend a week there and visit their classrooms. I want to sit I want to be at the PD thing and talk about the why, and then I want to go to your classroom and actually do the how. And I mm -hmm. truly think that sets me apart from others um, who are just doing keynote, the keynote circuit. There's nothing wrong with that, but I want to do both. I want to talk to you about what's worked for me and then show your kiddos because the best PD we all know is with them, with the kids. Absolutely. Anyway, so what's next? That's something I'm, to I'm, I'm toying with that idea, whether it ever comes to life or not. I just want to take a year maybe find a corporate person who would like to back it so I can eat in hotel rooms and, uh, and just capture those voices of people on the ground. I, I, I love the, I, I love the idea with that. It's, it's measuring your own impact in a way as well. You know, as educators, we often talk about um, the fact that we don't necessarily know our impact until a generation has passed, you know, 20, 25 years from now, we get those messages from those kids that we taught a decade or two ago. And we say, Oh my gosh, I actually did do some good. You actually do remember some of those lessons. And you are a teacher right now of teachers. So it's the same, same principle. You, you don't know your impact just because you're there on a day and you see the smiles and the applause. That's great. It feels good. But you're looking for that longer impact to see how it actually changes people. That's awesome. Well, here, here, here's this. I, got, I have goosebumps. I have to share this. Again, I'm, this isn't a self-promotion thing in any way, shape, or form. I just I have to share this. Mon uh, Monday or Tuesday of this week, I got a DM on Instagram from a parent, not a parent of one of my students, a parent of a student who I did some consulting for in a school district in Sudbury, Ontario, three years ago. So when I, yeah, two, maybe three years ago. So two, maybe three years ago, I was doing these coding workshops for a district in, in Sudbury, Ontario that just got all these robots and was like, okay, what do we do? We got, we bought the stuff. Now what? And she was so excited. I'll never forget her. She must have been eight or nine. And she was female. And that was really imp important to capture the story of this person, this young person who'd not done coding before and how enthralled with it she was to the point where her mom followed me on Instagram. We've kind of kept in touch over the years. We happened to both be in Mexico at the same time just because, you know, we still, we still saw each other's Instagram stories. But just this week, mom messaged me on Instagram, two pictures of her daughter holding my books. I met this kid one time, one day, mm. holding my books, followed by a message that said, uh, it's Emma's 11th birthday this week. Uh, I'm reaching out to those people that she admires. Would you, do you have the time to say happy birthday on video for 10 seconds and, sh and email me the clip? And like holding back tears, I was like, holy, this is incredible. That's awesome. So 
we sent her some books. Of course we did. We sent her some of our kid books and a personalized birthday card and she got the video. So it's those moments that keep me going. It's those stories that keep me going. It's not following. It's not fame. I don't even like that stuff. It's those impacts because that kid will forever remember that day and me too as a result. Oh, that's good. That's awesome, man. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. It's about those personal about. connections, uh, no matter and, and what, so, what it is you're doing. 100%. And now I, it gives me an opportunity. I need to reach back out to, my, to the program department that I was working with at the time. So you remember? You remember this? Look what's come of this. Because that day, great PR for them. Great PR for everybody. Great for that kid. Great for that family, you know, the community, all, all of that stuff. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, Brian, when, when we started today, um, uh, you said, how long can, can we go? And I, I was like, hey, we can spend all day doing this. But I know they're in Canada. Wi-Fi is an issue, whatever. And it's raining there. And we got to put the, the tinfoil hat on and get the Wi-Fi gods to cooperate. Your wife's got staffings, all that kind of stuff happening on, on your bandwidth. So I'm going to try my best to, to wrap this up as quickly as I can, but not without letting you share something, something else. I, I tell all my guests that I want to end with something that is just absolutely mind-blowing, something that people are going to remember you for. I mean, I've already got a, a notebook full of notes here from stuff that you've shared <laughs> that I'm going to be taking with and, and reflecting on. But people that listen to podcasts sometimes listen while they're driving to the grocery store, or when they're mowing the lawn or working out. And I like that last little nugget that is shared by my guests to be that thing that connects the dots between them and life change or them and going out and doing something awesome. So Brian, if, I, if in just a second, I'm going to ask for your mic drop moment, that thing that you're just going to walk off the stage with and say, boom, this is what it's all about. What is that thing? What is it that you want people to leave this conversation with? Interestingly enough, uh, it's not going to be, it's not going to be coding. It's not going to be follow your passions. That's what I'm doing. It's not, it's not going to be that stuff. Hmm. For me, it's going to be Mrs. Boudreaux. Because Mrs. Boudreaux, she's my mic drop moment because I credit her to why I'm here having this conversation with you 25 years later. Mrs. Boudreaux took a chance on me in grade 10. Mrs. Boudreaux took a risk on me in grade 10 and set me on this path. Um, her allowing me to build a website as a school project was completely out of her wheelhouse. And not only did I have to do the media studies content that she was evaluating, it became layers of a cake. I had to teach myself HTML. I had to learn about web hosting. I had to learn about domain names. I had to learn about hexadecimal and internet colors. All of these pieces I had to learn as a byproduct of the process of simply creating a website to present the information I had done research on. And we're close in age. Research in those days meant cutting pictures out of 17 magazines, right? <laughs> Teachers would collect National Geographic and People magazine, and we would, we would go find our favorite whoever and, and cut out pictures. So my mic drop moment is I want to be Mrs. Boudreaux. That kid this week, Emma, I want to be her Mrs. Boudreaux. I want all educators out there to empower their students to find their passions and let them run wild with it. Because it has, I know what coding has done for me. I'm not suggesting everybody needs to be a professional coder. I am suggesting everybody needs to encourage their students to find their coding, whatever that may be. So my mic drop moment goes out to Mrs. Boudreaux, who took a risk on long-haired Kurt Cobain wannabe Tupac Shakur gangster rapper Brian Aspinall when he was 14 years old. 
That's awesome. I, I'll tell you from this conversation, I want to be Brian Aspinall. So I, I want to be that guy who follows that teacher. I want to be that guy that doesn't take no for an answer. That guy that goes out there and says, no, man, this is, this is my passion. This is what I want to learn. This is where I want to go and just goes for it. And I just, if I could just share one more thing, yeah, because this, this is super, super, super cool for teacher appreciation week. Uh, about three years ago, four years ago, I'm not sure. Microsoft Canada reached out to me and said, I've done a lot of work with Microsoft Canada, Minecraft, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and they reached out to me and they said, we want to celebrate the teachers who work with you now, work with who have come before you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Who was that for you? And of course it's Mrs. Boudreaux. She's in my books. I've blogged about it. She's actually a neighbor, believe it or not. She lives in the same community I live in. Um, so anyway, they took the story. They said, why, why? Well, this is what she let me do in high school, which set me on this path. I had a, mon I had a paid web portfolio job out of high school as a result of a school project. I monetized a school project because she allowed it and I turned it into a career. And what they did for Teacher Appreciation Week, they said, great, now we're gonna have you come to Toronto and record a video thanking her. And we're gonna, we've got a bunch of people. We're gonna cut it, compile it together. And I thought, that's really cool. I mean. Microsoft Canada is going to put me up in a hotel room and put me on their little website. That's, that's some great PR. I'm all over this. This is great. So they're asking me all these questions during this interview. You know, why Mrs. Boudreaux? And the last question was, what would you say if you saw her right now? <laughs> oh my God. I hadn't seen her in 20 years. She heard the whole thing. She was there. Oh, wow. I, they had her come out the biggest, the biggest hug. And you know what she said? me that's why i want to be mrs boudreaux be humble be bold boom i like that ah! bold humility well played way to wrap it Woo! up my man <laughs> that was awesome it's almost like you planned it that was awesome so good oh brian <laughs> i i appreciate you uh more than you know wow. I, I i know i kind of cyber stalk you a little bit i follow your your every move so forgive me that's what we do in, in michigan though we follow our canadian heroes so so thank you for allowing hey, me to do that thanks for connecting today we got to go to a Wings game or, or the, 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 the arcade bar downtown Detroit. I'm you got it. You. And we go to a Wings game right now. We'll be the only ones there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so let's do it. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. I, I just... nice, nice to have Iserman back, though, eh? I'll, hey, I'll take it. Absolutely. Oh, I said, hey, Canadian <laughs> egg. I was just going to drag this out as long as I could. So you already got the about one time. So we got the A in there too. So this is, this is the Canadian special right here. I appreciate it. You even dropped George Kiros's name. So this is his Canadian. <laughs> tag him, tag him. <laughs> you got it. Um, the, so the Canadian economy is based on the oil industry. And with what's happening with COVID right now, of course, gas prices are down all over the place, which means our dollar's not strong. So when they do open up the borders, our exchange rate right now, believe it or not, is 35%. So you want to come over to Windsor and have yourself a $4 Canadian pint of beer. It's only going to cost you two fifty us. Think about Sweet. it. And, and that's you how we got that two hour story down to like 25 minutes. I mean, this Canadian exchange rate just keeps getting better and better and better. It, cheap beer, cheap it, gas and time flies. Boom. Metric system, you know, Canadian minutes are so much more efficient than us minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Canadian people obviously are just so much smarter than us too. So that's awesome. <laughs> I'm not uh, touching that one. <laughs> Brian, I, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, people that are listening to this, they're going to be able to, to go down and look at the show notes and get all your contact info. But for those people 
like me that oftentimes listens to podcasts or watches YouTube videos and they're too lazy to scroll to the bottom um, and click the button. Can you just real quickly just mention to people how they can connect with you? Absolutely. Find me on Twitter at Mr. Aspinall. That's got one S M R A S P I N A L L. I'm on Instagram at Mr. Aspinall. I'm on Facebook. You can Google me. You can hit Mr. Aspinall.com, but I would really appreciate everybody taking a peek at the amazing work of my colleagues at codebreakeredu.com. They're wicked amazing educators from all over the place who are doing amazing things on the ground every day for the kids in our classroom. And they have amazing stories to tell. Boom. There you go. Check it out. Awesome stuff out there. Check it out. Did you enjoy this episode? I hope so. If you did, Feel free to keep listening by subscribing right now to the Lasting Learning Podcast and get new episodes as soon as they're released. Interested in knowing more about me, Dave Schmidow? Well, feel free to find out what makes me tick by reading one of my books, Bold Humility, or It's Like Riding a Bike. Feel free to check them both out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or directly on my website, schmidow.net. That's S-C-H-M-I-T-T-O-U dot net.